Hello and welcome to Red's Business and Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Barnes. And I'm your co-host, Nigel Hine. Today we're sitting down with the Director of Business and Technology Performance Advisor at New Arenas Capital, Stuart Waddington. In this episode, we're speaking about maximizing businesses' performance by engaging people to execute on business strategy. Stuart, thanks for coming in. Yep. Good afternoon, gents. Please be here. No problems, mate. Let's start with your background. So what have you done in your, uh, I think, 25, 30 years in your professional career? Well, 25 or 30 years is kind because that's just the consulting part. I've, uh, <laughs> I've actually got my 40th uh, school reunion in a couple of months' time. So, uh, Mate, the yeah, podcasters wouldn't have got that. You didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, so I've been doing a lot. Um, look, the last 25 or 30 years in, in the consulting space, as it's called, um, has been an interesting one because it took me about 10 years to really work out what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I sort of almost fell into uh, consulting for me, why I like it, I, I love um, I love goals, and and so I you know that's in my personal life as well. Um, you know, competitive sport, still doing that. Um, but for me, I grew up in a small business family, uh, so I've always had a real affinity for the customer and, and teams of people. And so, I think I grew into consulting perhaps. And so, um, over the last you know 25, 30 years, it's more about been getting um, you know more complex projects. Um, yeah, because a project is that that ultimate thing when a when a business owner or the like wants to make change and they commit funding teams um, distraction because projects are distracting to running the business mm. um, and there's a lot of elements I love you know there's a start there's a middle and an end you know there's just a great satisfaction I suppose about that that planning the executing and, and all of the challenges that go with execution over say an eighteen month to two year period. It just suits me. Um, I don't know what else to do mm. otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Looking forward to getting some insights in this episode from you, um, what the, some of the exciting projects you've done in your past career. Let's start just to set the scene on an example of a, the most exciting project that you've done. Um, oh, look, exciting is always a great euphemism, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. So, you know, clients know that um, if they've got a problem, they know they'll get their best. And a lot of my work comes, you know, essentially through referral. Um, I've, I've owned a consulting company, you know, we grew that to about 20 people, sold out of that and have been basically doing complex um, programs, so, you know, a collection of projects at any given time uh, to bring about organisational change and it typically involves uh, people, processes and technology. Um, in, in many cases, um, organisations have made a start, haven't quite got to where they need to to build that momentum through to um, you know, successful conclusion. Um, and that, that space really excites me. Um, so probably the most um, interesting one of late, and it actually goes back pre-COVID, and that's probably why I think it's interesting, is that um, it, was, it was meant to be a six to seven week restart of a program over in New Zealand uh, with a big insurer. Uh, and about Four or five weeks in, they asked if I'd stay for four months, and that four months ultimately became 25 months. The reason it was interesting because um, of how it came about, uh, some of the challenges that we had during, including a, another takeover offer, um, and the fact that it finished and was handed over just before COVID started. And had that not happened, either I would have been stuck in New Zealand trying to finish it off, and I'm not sure how that would have been done given that everyone all of a sudden, literally within the space of a week, had to work from home. Mm. So everything that we'd done, uh, you know, digital front end, you know, new uh, claims management systems, you know, you, you, know, you name it sort of thing, it was a transformative set of um, systems and processes and people change for the organisation and then everyone had to start working from home. Mm. And there were 400,000 Kiwi customers that may not have been able to be serviced effectively had we not got that program in. And so for me, that that's sort of up there with some of the interesting ones that I've done with, yeah. with great impact. It's meant, meant to be a little project and then COVID hit and then it was a massive, massive project that got went up the importance <laughs> chain really, really quickly. That's so, right. So how do you, people engage you historically? Is it when they try and do a like rapid technology change or digital transformation project and it falls over, then you come in to pick up the pieces and put it back together? Or do they engage you first to say, 
hey, we want to do this transformation, consult on it. Yeah. Look, I remember saying to a um, client who's become a friend, uh, who's actually my first client in consulting, and um, I said to him after about three years, multiple projects, because, oh, okay, Stu, you fixed that one. Can you go and fix that one, et cetera? And this was while I was actually still working for a consulting firm. I said to him after about two and a half years, I said, when are you going to give me a project I can start from the beginning? So that <laughs> he goes, Stu, don't you understand? That's why I get you. You, you see things differently and, and you help create the patterns and the resilience and the like so that the teams can actually really get focused around what we're trying to do. And then you help run at home. He said, that, that's why I engage you. Mm. So since that time, it's like, oh, okay. So that was a real learning moment for me. I think I was, I don't know, about 30, let's say. And, and that, I think that advice at that time, that, that was me learning about me as much as anything else, has really provided me some bedrock about how and uh, what I do to make sure that you know, my client outcomes are achieved. Mm, some clarity. Mm. Looking forward to getting some insights out mm. and picking your brain here. But uh, Nigel, do you want to, where do you want to take this one first? Well, it's interesting, Stu. I've known you for, I think I remember, 2007 we first met something and like that, yeah. something you've always wanted to do was challenge the status quo, right? So, you know, going back to your history and, you know, with new arenas of business, all of that, um, mm. do you want to talk through about how your methodology, which I remember as facts, such mm. a strong methodology that, you know, I, I still remember to this day, you know, 14, mm. 15 years ago, um, how did that come about? Was it the thing you were doing with the, the fleet business over in the UK? Right. And yeah, like, So yeah. can you talk a bit about that? Because I think it's a great story to tell. Oh, look, that was me getting myself out of a spot of bother, actually, because um, I'd, I'd helped um, a large US financial services company in the automotive space. I won't uh, talk about client names per se. Um, I'd helped with the um, M&A of a, a UK company, uh, and they put me in as CIO for 12 months. And about five weeks in, we were sitting around the uh, boardroom table and uh, the CEO brought out the, um, the the existing business strategy for the firm, flipped over, you know, mission, you know, provide the lowest cost automotive finance with the best range of products and the best customer service. And everyone's nodding sagely. And I'd been there five weeks at that stage. And, um, and I was... 31, so a bit, bit uh, young, maybe wet behind the ears on how to deal around an executive table. Um, and I said, that doesn't make sense, guys. And everyone said, what do you mean? You've only been in the automotive industry for five weeks. I said, well, sorry to rain on your parade. I actually don't think you're in the automotive industry. But we've got 75,000 vehicles under lease around the country to you know, British Airways and Marks and & Spencer and all these big, important firms. I said, I get that. But as your CIO... I said, I actually think we're in the information business uh, because, you know, the, the customers, you know, they're, they're typically a CFO or an HR director and they've got a problem called, I've got hundreds or thousands of people who've got the right to get a fully serviced vehicle as part of their, their package. Um, and so we actually take away the information management problem so that they can get on with their business. I said, look, can I come back and give you my thoughts on Thursday? Because I used to you know, go up to Birmingham on a Monday morning, back on a Wednesday afternoon, and then uh, on Tuesday afternoon, and then up on Thursday morning. So I remember being on the train, Virgin train out of Houston, up to Birmingham, and I'm thinking, rightio, I've got to be able to explain why I can see and say you know, these things. And so I came up with this approach and saying, well, f yes, I may not have worked in your business, but all businesses fundamentally work the same. They have a DNA in the same way that humans do. And so I articulated that as basically, you know, you, for a given focus, you know, what are you trying, what value are you trying to create? You've got to attract people to it. You've got to contract people if they're interested. You know, I'll give you that magazine if you give me $10. Uh, you've got to be able to transact it. I've got, actually got to give you the magazine. You've got to give me the $10. That's the two-way promise we just created in the contract. And if the magazine's good and I like your $10, we'll do business again. Everything's the same. And, and, I, and I said to them, it doesn't matter whether you're, uh, you know, a post office, a florist, or doing full-service washing machines. Businesses and what they do are fundamentally the same. And so I said, I came up with this model and I said, so you think it's all about sales and I can see your people popping champagne corks when they do a deal. I'm in the next building across, but I can see through the glass and I've got a team of IT people that I'm managing, and we're going, ah, oh, that deal sheet, how do we actually do that? We, our systems aren't set up for this. So you think you're making money there, but you're blowing it out the back door via me. 
So I said, we need to think about the business differently. And I said, if I can propose to you that this is actually about an information management business and that cars are driven by your customers' employees, but your customer wants the information, insurance, roadside assistance, FBT, et cetera, et cetera, we will transform this. The CEO got it and we ran it through the business. So we organised, reorganised the business around that. Uh, that CEO became the global CEO. He took this model. We, we ran that model through Europe, Mexico and Australia, I think, as well. Um, so that, that was the genesis of facts. It was me having to explain why I just thought a bit differently, I suppose. Yeah, it's such a granular way of breaking down challenges. Like, you know, to this day, to your credit, I, I you know, when I'm stuck with a customer, I'll, mm. I'll say, you know, facts mm. and um, run through it. And it's a very simple way to actually mm. you know, get some clarity. So what does facts stand for? Uh, so focus, attract, contract transact and then only two things will ever happen you'll either sustain the business because you both delivered on the transact you know the, the promise um or you'll suspend because one of you didn't didn't work for you that's fine but you still learn from that process as well we, we do the same thing when we put a body through the mri to work out okay where are the issues in the body because once we know where those issues are then we can go and make a healthier body a business is just a body it's full of cells that run around trying to be important and do things and you know that they're meant to do and mm. when they don't work that's when projects arise because then you go ah that's not working what do we do, mm. what I, want do we- I want to circle back to you so you said you you essentially you were a consulting cio at 31 to quite a big automotive industry mm. it's a pretty big big feat how did you how did you get there before we unpack the, where you're at now because i mean getting to that 31 is is mm. pretty impressive oh, i've been working since i was seven Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually not kidding. No, my, my parents were uh, slave drivers. No, they weren't. Um, no, I, I literally did my first paid day's work as a seven-year-old. Uh, mum and right. dad had a um, curtain wallpaper shop up at Ashgrove. Yeah. Um, I minded my little brother. And dad gave me a dollar the Saturday before when they were at a dog show down at Redlands. And, um, and when dad gave me that dollar, you know, he saw my eyes light up and he goes, oh, do you want to come into the shop and do some work? I'm like, oh, yeah. And he gave me a dollar for working on half Saturday because you got any work, shops could only be open back in the old days, we're talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been around customers and um, you know, dealing with adults, I suppose, since I was seven. So by the time I was 31, I mean, I'm not great at maths, but you know, like I had 20 something years of work experience. Yeah. So, um, and, and as I said, I've got a great affinity and love for business, and, I, and I'm really passionate about the way in which people and teams and businesses create value so when i and because i'm inquisitive and a problem solver i love getting in there and you know turning the thing around so facts really was an extension of um me to be able to you know explain um what people ask me quite frequently how do you understand their business so quickly well i don't i understand the patterns of business then i need a way in which i can engage with you together so that we can pinpoint how it can improve. Okay. And how, how did you, did you have a tech, did you study tech to, in between that, you know, dollar for looking after the younger brother and CEO at 31, did you study technology as well? Yeah. Uh, look, I worked, um, first job out of school uh, mm. was with Logan City Council. Uh, right. So they, they actually um, gave me a cadetship to go through uni, uh, do my first degree. Um, and I think it was about 1988, I think it was, I, I spent a year working in what was then called the EDP department, the Electronic Data Processing. And so, um, yeah, I, I learned a lot, but I, but I already had, um, yeah, I think some skills in that space. You know, I was, I was you know, I think you know, kids at that stage were starting to learn to use, you know, um, computers at school and stuff. And so, you know, we were just at that stage where it was all just starting to happen, I think, and, and I gravitated towards it. Um, you know, moved on to look after the Australian Stock Exchange help desk uh, for Brisbane for the um, automated trading system uh, back yeah, then well. as well and, and then finished uni and nipped off to a, uh, the, well, on a world tour as it was then, uh, one year, you know, gap year and uh, five years later anyway, came back married, having lived in Finland, learned to speak another language and had uh, you know, done some more tech type stuff over uh, back in London as well. So I sort of yeah. gravitated into it. But I walk a line between, if you like, technology and business. I mean, yeah, you know, everything has to serve an outcome. You know, it's not tech for tech's sake. It's, but what for what outcome? How does it drive a human outcome or a business outcome forward? And, and so I walked that line between the two. So I suppose I'm a bit of a translator in some respects. Stu, on that vein, can you share any real moments of technology transformation apart from that insurer you mentioned that 
you know, you've really seen a massive um, uplift in that organisation. Any, any examples oh, of stuff that you've done? Well, well I'd, I'd go back to, um, you know, the UK when we're talking about the facts, where, you know, the genesis of that. Um, you know, there, there was a situation where on a, on a weekly basis, I think from memory it was about 50 of um, their clients would get a, a floppy disk with the database on it so that they could then go and update it at that end. Now, we're talking uh, 1990. Right. Um, yeah, so the internet was just starting to become a useful thing and but prior to me arriving, use of the internet at work was banned. Um, so one of the first things I did was say, well, that's silly because that's the future. And so we talked about the why and, and the like. And so you know, e- even that was a little bit transformative mm. that people were across the business were allowed to investigate and use the internet in the hope that they become familiar with it so that as we then roll things forward, so for example, you know, that, that particular uh, floppy disk system, um, I, I laugh about it now, but we somehow engaged a um, Russian outfit uh, to actually develop a, develop a system to um, automate that and enable you know, real-time um, exchange of information. You think about it now, it's uh, ludicrous that we chose Russians, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but that, again, you know, was transformative. Yeah. Uh, the CEO came to me one day and said, Stuart, we need a call centre. I went, no problem, Len. I'm pretty sure the, uh, the technology is there. We can put one on Mars. Why? Why do we need one? Oh, everyone else has got one. Maybe. Why? I didn't object to it. I was just trying to make sure he, he could actually understand or, or mount a, help mount a case as to what value would having people able to respond in a more you know, coordinated fashion what would that do for um, the, cl- you know, the customer's businesses as well as the client's business? I think you've got a unique skill, Stu, which we mentioned in the show a fair amount, which is that technology translation to the, the business. And mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of gaps with a lot of IT managers and CIOs. Uh, and that's, what I think, why you've just kind of accelerated so much in your career because that is an art form to not just go, cool, well, what, what tech are we getting and then put a business case of, oh, this many dollars for this technology, mm. but uh, actually creating a, why do we, qu- questioning it first and then putting a business case is like, no, no, no we're yeah. doing it for this reason to move the business forward this way. So that, that's mm. well done. Well, I think before Simon Sinek came up with it, nah, you start with why. I think yeah. Stu, Stu coined it first, right? Yeah. So I learned oh, it from you about 14 years ago. I, I, I won't lay claim to that. It was... Um, I think it's just one of the most basic things of, of being a human. You know, I mean, um, when, when people feel in control of, of anything, you know, um, they're more likely to sign up. Mm. It's so if they understand the why, that, that's them engaging. That's yeah. the first bit of engagement. It's funny. And also what you said about floppy disks and saying you can't go on the internet and that kind of stuff. That's what I'm finding. So it's almost like now there's a lot of businesses with AI who are like, uh, you know, ban AI, ban ChatGPT from being used in our business, that kind of mm. thing, because it shares data. I feel like that's the same kind of thing with yep. the internet back in the early 90s, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you've got to experiment, mm. you know, because how do you learn? Very much so. Mm-hmm. So let's, um, let's pivot a little bit. So what are the common challenges you're hearing from businesses in 2023? Well, if I could say it's both opportunity and challenge, uh, and I'd go back to people, people, people. <laughs> no, no surprise in that for me everything goes back to people. Mm. But look at our context. You know, lowest unemployment rate in a long time, you know, 3.5%. Um, if you overlay that with, I think, particularly a, um, coming, off, coming off the back of years of good times, so to speak, as well, you know, people are used to getting things perhaps a little bit more easily. Uh, there's a sense of waiting or relying on you know, businesses or the government to give me what I'm due. You know, and, and, and I'm not just talking the millennium or millennial um, supposed mindset, and, and, and I dispute that. I think it's too broad a brush to you know, think that millennials just you know, want things too early. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. But I do think that um, people aren't um, as readily available to look after themselves and, and, and commit to things which sometimes are a little bit hurty. You know? mm. um, and so there's, there's a lot of me first and then everyone else. And so particularly when you're on projects, and I've seen this, and, and this this is probably, if you like, one of the unfortunate parts, when I'm in a consulting leadership role, so program director or the like, 
look, I, I have no joy in, in moving people on from a project. But I do those things because it's necessary sometimes to make sure you've got the right team. If I can't help an individual or a team become a better version of themselves, then I have to go and find someone else. In a, in a low unemployment environment, unfortunately some people will opt out because things can get a bit hard. And for me, in the, in the space I'm in, when, when you are going you know, in a journey from a point A to point B, it's always going to be hard. Because if change was easy, everyone would be able to just do it. Mm-hmm. Right? So for me, um, when, you know, when you've got con- you know, context like we do at the moment, you know, so low unemployment, rising interest rates, new technologies, um, you know, they're, they're probably, you know, you, you've got an abundance of you know, government um, scrutiny or legislation or, or the like as well. Yeah, you've got all these forces on, on businesses that, um, you know, from a business owner's perspective, oh, one more thing to deal with. From an individual's perspective, well, I just want to turn up. I want to do a good job if I can, but, well, if I don't like it, there's another one over there. And so there's, there's, a, there's all these things swirling around at the moment where, um, you know, businesses like stability. Unfortunately, if you try to stay stable, you're going to go the way of the dinosaurs. Mm. Um, so it, it's about finding that way through. And, and so some of the research I've been doing, um, just to sort of parlay into some of the um, extracurricular activities, uh, as I mentioned, you know, I've, I've always you know, done a lot of high-performance sport. Um, last four or five years, I think it is, I've been you know, really focused on mountaineering. Not something I would have ever picked, by the way, but I think it was just my time in New Zealand, beautiful country and lots of mountains. And, but some of the um, reading and you know, just the experience, like if you want something bad enough, it's, you know, it's a bit of a cliche to say you'll find your way there. Probably a better way to put it is you'll find a way to navigate there. And it's some of those skills and, and ways of working, I think, that when I'm working with a business, I can, I can draw those parallels between the physicality of um, you know, personal objectives and how do we get individuals and teams and businesses aligned so that we can go on a journey to a significant place that is worth getting to, not as a death march, because that's, that's a poor form of leadership, um, but, you know, on a day-by-day basis looking for people to bring their A-game, we may not have full certainty, we may not have full control of this, but by working on, as I said night before, you know, it's about resilience as well. You know, how do we help people navigate? You know, so for me, I want to make sure that when they're at work, they're working with as much certainty as we can provide, that they're working in a healthy tempo, um, they've got healthy and respectful relationships with each other and uh, we, you know, we try to avoid friction but it's just an inevitable part of being human. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I think these are – you've got to do that while all this other stuff's going on outside the building, so to speak. Um, so you're saying, well. Stu, that, that what you're seeing in the challenges that businesses are facing is finding people, mm. people aren't as loyal, so if maybe retaining people yep. and then getting them engaged on the journey yep. and then managing those people are the Definitely. biggest challenges that you're seeing. You, you said that so much better. I should have said that at the start. I'm just, I'm just summarising. <laughs> <laughs> I do, do want to un- unpack that actually, but um, I want to ask you something that um, I didn't prep for beforehand. What's your opinion of the um, whole working from home thing these days? Because there's been a lot. There was an old Victorian um, uh, premier who said that people who getting work from home 100% of the time should essentially get paid less uh, than people that are in the office full time. What's your thoughts? Oh, Jeffrey says a few things. Um, and he, he's, look, he's quite a uh, wise, wise individual. Mm. I don't agree with him on that one though. Okay. No. I think it's about balance. Um, I, I think people have become used to it. I think there are certainly some benefits in, in, in workplace flexibility. I, th- I think even beyond the, the immediate human ones and, and immediately for the business. If you can be productive um, and work from home, great. I don't think it's applicable for all roles. I'm not quite sure how that would work for a nurse, for example. Mm. I mean, other than the, you know, the great nurses that you know, move around, firefighters, etc. Well, but, that was his point, was that those people should get paid more or that people mm, work from home mm, should get paid less. But yeah, um, I th- maybe I only saw the sound bites then because it didn't quite it, – it's, it's quite a layered you know, structure that you yep. would have to put mm. in place. But I think the technology – it's forced us to use technology. So certainly travelling less – 
is a, is a good thing. It's good for the environment. It's good for uh, costs, etc. Um, you know, Qantas has accommodated it by you know, putting airfares up. Good on them. <laughs> um, but I think if we've got more, I think it comes back to flexibility. I think working from an office is important for culture. It's for that you know those water cooler conversations, etc. Yeah. So I think being in an office is great for culture. It's hard to replicate that mm. over Zoom or yep. Teams or whatever. We're an IT company and we struggle with that culture it, remotely well, too. Well, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, over, over the last – or since COVID hit, to be honest, I mean, I've probably only done uh, 10% of my work time in, in, in front of clients. Right. I've, I've had one whole engagement, you know, with CEO and, and executive team in Victoria. I never even met them. Wow. Not even once. Mm-hmm. Over, over a six- or seven-month period of that engagement. It was remarkable. Mm. Um, could could it have been better? Because that, that was in the throes of, of COVID. Could okay. it have been better? A- absolutely. I mean, some FaceTime and whiteboards and all that sort of thing. Yeah, that, that could have accelerated things. But I, so I think it's a blend. I think that's what we've got to look for. And I think it's to um, mandate, it, for example, across a public service. I don't think that's healthy. Mm. I think I think it's got to come down to what is the business, what roles are involved. So I think, you know, when it starts to get put into, you know, some sort of instrument like um, an enterprise agreement. I, th- I think that's pr- starting to stray into it, it's being a little bit too favourable for the employee, whereas I think the business needs to have a, you know, just an adult conversation with all of its employees about what works for the business because if we do well as a business, you do well as an employee. Mm. So let's have a chat. So let's, let's unpack that one a little bit then because uh, I think definitely that uh, managing people if they're all remote is definitely harder. No one's, no one's going to argue that way. If, if you can swing around the chair and speak to someone, it's easy, easy to manage yeah. those people. So at a high level, how do you get staff or people engaged in the business's vision? It's got to make sense for a start. Um, and yeah, look, it's got, to, um, it's got to have a purpose. I mean, because I think it's easy to wordsmith stuff but if people don't believe it, they're not going to sign on. If they, if they can't see themselves in that, they're either going to stay for the journey because maybe they're getting paid well and they'll just pretend to be busy um, and pretend to be engaged, etc. or they'll leave. So authenticity is important. Um, strategy also needs to be executable. I have done a lot of projects off the back of, you know, big four 140-page slide packs. They are beautiful. It's not that they're useless. And this, this isn't a... Um, you're not trying to slag them off in terms of, um, you know, their, their utility. But there is a missing link between going from, um, you know, your research and analytics of a market and what have you. And, and those guys have got the, uh, the bandwidth to do that well. And they, and they generally do. But when they stray across the line of, but how do we do this? That's where I start putting my hand up. And I think there is a join point, a necessary join point to say, there's our strategy. But our next step in this is executable strategy. And if you miss that point, um, for me, errors of execution start. That's where the seeds are, which I typically pick up, you know, some months or whatever later, which is when I think mentioned earlier, sometimes you've got to go backwards before you can then go forward. You've got to go back to root. Oh, 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 this isn't working. I thought we, you know, we've got a great plan. Look, look at this PowerPoint pack. That's not the plan. Mm. That doesn't engage people. So to your question, um, it, it has to be simple to understand. It's got to be purposeful and it's got to be something that people can, you know, your team can absolutely sign up for. If it's missing any of those, seeds of doubt have already begun to creep in. Yeah, it's very hard, you know, there's, you can create as much strategy in the world without the execution. That's yeah. probably the hardest part. What's your advice for getting the most out of individual staff one-on-one? Well, again, um, you know, do they understand their role? Um, do they understand why they're playing that role? Does it align to their objectives? Um, are they skilled enough? Do they have the tools to do that job? Uh, do they have a good leader? Um, do they have... Um, an environment within which they can work. So sometimes, you know, I'm not a project manager, program director. I, I take those titles on. The only way I've ever been able to, you know, probably adequately describe it is I create environments where successful outcomes become possible. And that's a very broad role title. 
Um, but within it, it's basically, you know, it goes back to facts. I, I look for what's missing so I can go and help fix those. And again, I'm not, you know, some Mr. Fix-It, but I work with people who can. So once I've identified, um, you know, what needs to carry forward, what do you leave behind and perhaps what do we need to do differently, then people start to get that clarity about the project mission. Because if the business knows what its overarching mission and vision is, then the projects to help improve the musculature or the breathing or the whatever is not adequate for that, you know, because a project is about adaptation to a different sort of demand. And so again, this is, um, you know, if you like some relatively recently, um, you know, learnt theory about, you know, um, when we do exercise, we're doing it for a reason. You know, an elite swimmer doesn't all of a sudden decide to take on the dietary advice of a sumo wrestler, for example. They're not going to swim real fast if that's the, you know, they, they follow that path. But they might follow the path of someone who's breaking world records and the, and the like as well. Business is the same. We don't do projects just for the fun of it. They hurt. They use money. They burn people out. But if we know that clarity about why and we're really sure on that and people are signed up, that's that mission question you asked before. A project has a mission. Our mission is to do this so that we can go from point A to point B. If everyone's clear on that, then people start to you know, understand their role, they understand their role in the team, that team understands its role in the business as well. Everyone does a great job, business moves on, it grows, um, something else will change, it'll do another project, mm. so on and so forth. There's no, fi- there's no finish line. It's yeah. one of my favourite um, lines from Nike, actually. <laughs> You've been someone that's always parachuted into fixed challenges. I think, you know, I've known you for a while. Mm. Are there three common traits that you see leaders or business owners consistently fail at, which mm. causes the people to lose that disconnect? What, what would three traits that I'm sure you, if you look at all of your experience, would be, mm. and I guess listeners here will go, well, look, hang on a second, I got that in my business. Maybe I should ask you for help. But what are the mm. three common traits that you see? Yeah. Um, again, Lack of clarity about the why. Um, things that can look good on a 140-page slide pack sort of can mask that real clarity. You know, there's a, there's a great um, quote attributed to Abraham Lincoln at the end of a rather lengthy uh, letter that he wrote to someone that said, I apologise for writing such a long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. Yep. So mm. that, that work to really distill down the why. Because if you can't say to people in a really short space, you know, if you need 140 pages, quite frankly, to say why something needs to be done, no, it's not gonna happen. That's background material. You've gotta be able to wrap it up on a page so that people engage. So that's that's the first one. Second one is having, I think, moved too quickly from, uh, right, we've we've got a plan, Let's let's go. For me, a lot of people sometimes, or a lot of projects sometimes get a lot of B, what I call BAU people, people who are used to the rhythms of your normal business cycle. Oh, he or she's fantastic. Yeah, get them onto the project. Just because they're good there doesn't necessarily make them good on a project. You know, it's like saying, oh, that person's great at sales. Let's make them the sales manager. Look, there's whole podcasts on how that is not a great idea, yeah. right? Um, the same thing. So for me, as part of preparation for what is invariably going to be a, a long, intense period of doing hard stuff, preparation is important. Making sure that you get people. So for me, you know, it's almost like there's BAU people and there's project people. It's not that you don't work together. It's not like you know um, entirely different animals. But project people are probably you know they're, they're highly goal oriented. They've got probably shorter attention spans. Um, they, they thrive on challenge and complexity and making sense of things. That's, and that's not a um, – it's not calling out BAU people. They just solve different yep. challenges, different tempos, etc. Should they be on projects? Absolutely. I mean, probably in SME roles to make sure that there's a bridge between point A and point B. No project should just go off into the ether and build stuff and then come back a year later and go, ta-da, for people just to go – Oh, but that's not what I wanted. Yep. Okay. So, um, you know, vision clarity, uh, preparation, 
And I think the, the third one is just making sure that people are looked after. Um, it's, it's like, you know, throwing on a high-performing footy team on and not allowing the, you know, strapper or the water runner to come on, you know, at times as well. People get hurt doing projects. Change is hard. It's, it's physical. Mm-hmm. Longer hours, changing minds. Um, oh, you know, Joe's left. Oh, okay, who's going to replace Joe? You know, it, it, things happen. So looking after people and being ready to look after people, that's part of your preparation. Um, so they'd be my three things because I see them at the start and the getting ready to go and the early stages because I typically get called in an early stage of things don't feel right yep. Yep. and people call it. And that, that's a gutsy move to call that um, a project's not going well because that starts hurting egos. When um, So ego actually, if I can pick a fourth thing, ego. Um, people can just be a little bit less about ego and, and more just calm and rational and the like. Don't, don't force change. Force change doesn't work. Yep. Sounds so simple, but, yeah, that's, that's actually really good advice. So, mm. yeah, thanks. Well, you mentioned before that um, part of what you do is try and find out what's not moving forward and, like, identifying it. What's the process you go through, Stu, to identify the biggest gaps in businesses? Well, back to facts. Um, you know, I need, a, I need a model, I suppose, to visualise how a business is structured. You know, so... Again, you know, attract, contract, transact, sustain, for example. Take focus as well. Yeah, for me, focus is about strategy, governance, leadership, etc. Attract is about marketing and, and, and getting people interested in whatever it is you're selling and the like. Contracting is about making sure that you can come up with a, an agreement that we've got something that we can exchange. Transact is about delivering the goods. Um, and sustain is saying, did that work for you? Can we do that again at some point? So I, I need a model like that so I can go into an organisation and as quickly as possible understand um, not just what it's selling but how it's working. You know, and, I, and I look for how people are engaged because if marketing don't do their job well, the salesmen aren't going to be busy. If a salesperson over-promises, then how do you deliver? And so people won't want to do business with you again. Mm. Yeah. And then the delivery's bad. Then they and the delivery's bad. After, right? People won't want to come back mm. either. So, so there's, there's this flow that goes through a business. So I look for flow. I look, I look for barriers to that flow, I suppose. And then you say, you know, is it, is it a process issue? Might be a product issue. Might be a service issue. So, you know, they're, they're the typical three things that bring about um, blockages. Because marketing services sales. Sales services you transact people. Um, so there's internal flow. But at each point, you're still dealing with a, with a prospective customer. In marketing, I'm, you know, from you know, selling socks. Um, yeah, I want to speak to you, Jackson, about the great socks that we've got, um, and whatever the selling mechanism is, whether it's online or you know direct sales. You know, someone knocking on your door to sell you some socks. I don't do that these days. I'm supposing, um, but yeah, there, there is there are, there are Different there are socks, humans <laughs> there are humans involved in 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 that chain. Mm. So now that that applies whether you're selling a banking product. Um, you know, mining equipment, as I said, you know, fl- flowers, cars. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's all fundamentally the same. And you, you could close um, a Commonwealth Bank branch, for example, on a Friday, re- redo the library and, and what have you. And you could you could be selling flowers there on a Monday. Yeah, physical presence, a way to sell. You know, again, you know, put in place the right product and people to to do that. So businesses are fundamentally the same. It's just in the same way that humans share you know, 90-odd percent of our DNA, and yet we look different, we're interested in different things. It's the same with the business. So for me, getting in early with a model, looking for the blockers, and that's where your project issues are going to be. Fix those. Nothing, nothing. I mean, you can end up uh, sort of plugging holes in the dike um, every now and then, you know, something else will pop out. You know, mm. As I mentioned before, the, the um, one over in New Zealand. Uh, about uh, 12 months in, I think it was, um, there was a, another takeover offer. Um, quietly, because I was under an NDA, I actually had to slow the, um, the program down. So this is about 150 
to 170 people, I had to slow down. I wasn't even allowed to tell them why we were slowing down. Mm. People thought I was mad that I wasn't trying to you know, bring this um, program to a conclusion. But we had to slow it down because we were under due diligence. Yeah, things happen. Mm. That pivot, I'm sure COVID probably made you pivot that uh, other project as well. Uh, oh, so well, I'm glad that happened after. Otherwise, as I said, I would, I would have probably been – because I was flying over backwards and forwards. Oh, uh, right. oh, I did 55 return trips to Auckland over a yeah, two-year right. period. So, so yeah. in that kind of like facts analogy when you're looking at a business trying to find where the biggest gaps are, how do you then prioritise where to start first? Yeah. Well, facts is fundamentally it's a way of communicating with business stakeholders. It, it's not just my tool to use. It, it's the one perhaps I bring, but it's it's a translation device. Um, it enables me to say, well, look, you know, h- here's some issues that we've discussed and we're seeing. Um, let's look at the impact of these as to – because you, you, you can't make all change instantaneously. You know, it, it, as I said, change hurts. Um, so which ones are we going to work on and, and in what priority and, and what resources are we going to give them? And maybe – um, you know, we'll do that much of all of that that you could do because that'll do for now so that we can move on to the next thing. So prioritisation is probably one of the key things, I think, in any other um, you know, business performance-oriented change process because, again, you know, it's, it's um, you, you constraints of resources, time, money, people, etc. Mm. you know, comes into play. So how do, you, how do you weigh that up? Do you, do you weigh the opportunity if you do a project here, for example, or the yeah. risk if you don't? Uh, like what, what kind of method do you use to help prioritise? Yeah, well, so, I mean, once, once you understand where the issues are, then you say, well, what, what are our options for resolving that? It might be a Band-Aid. A Band-Aid, you know, sometimes a Band-Aid's fine. It's only when you've got Band-Aids on top of Band-Aids on top of Band-Aids, then you've probably got a problem. So you've got to have a very transparent conversation with, you know, usually executives and, and leaders in the organisation. Um, I think one of the um, key things, depending on what scale of organisation, you may need to get the board involved as well. Um, and I think so some of the work I've been doing around agile thinking, not just agile processes, you know, so it's not just about stand-ups and 3M sticky notes and all that. I mean, they're, they're the things you use, but it's the practice, it's the mindset, the agile mindset that's important. So depending on the scale of your organisation, you know, if there's a board and it's providing corporate governance you know, services to the business, then you've got to engage them on the journey as well because that's the only way you're going to get a business case of some scale across the line. If you're dealing in a private company and you're dealing with an owner, then it's, that's probably you know, one of your key stakeholders. But you've got to be able to describe, and, and this is why facts, it's a very visual process as well. I mean, it's literally a heat map that you end up drawing out of, of all the you know, steps in that flow of business. And then first time we did it on uh, Nigel's business, I remember him sitting back going, my God, I can see my business up on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 it, and it's quite a powerful moment. And it starts the conversation about, well, we can't do it all. So what are we going to do? Then you've got permission to you know, get down to that next level and say, well, you know, we've, we've got options for each of these issues. And it ranges from we could put all of our effort there or we could spread effort across a range of things and try and you know, lift the organisation. So it, it's it's um, maybe a long way around to answering the question because there's, there's no specific way. There's or, not a do this first, right? Yeah, there's not a do this first. It's yeah. not saying that you know, marketing is more important than selling. It, it, it just depends on the circumstances. Yeah. I've got a couple other questions for Stu. Nice. Do you have anything else you want to follow? No, mate. I love listening. I'm very conscious that Stu has so much to share and um, I was going to think that, you know, we're going to run out of time. So cover your questions and we'll have to get Stu back into, you know, all those exciting projects you're working on to share more into the future. So. We may need, a, may need a part two, mate. But um, <laughs> uh, let's um, – I think the one thing I wanted to pick your brain on was change. Why is change so hard? And what is an example where someone's an organisation that you, you've led or, or, or been part of, whatever, has done change really well? Mm. Change is just hard for humans generally. We, we like patterns. You know, um, we think we're very sophisticated. We're just sophisticated animals in, in a way. You know, there, there's patterns. You know, we, we, we wake up, we need some brekkie. You know, we, we, we want to feel meaningful, we want to feel loved, etc. But what we most want and I think is... Um, we actually want to feel in control. And so once we've got a sense of control, someone else coming along saying, oh, I'd like you to do this differently, that, that disrupt, that's disruptive. It disrupts your sense of control because all of a sudden you've got to apply energy to probably not only doing that thing but maybe doing a project or, or just doing some change that's different to what you've got used to. So it's inherently jarring to how we 
go through our day. But if we go through that appropriately and if we can you know, make sure that people understand the benefits, you know, there's this, this a um, variety of little you know, graphs and memes and all sorts of things that go along with this and typically you, know, you, you change people will use those and bring them out to help people you know, go across the divide of despair or whatever it is um, <laughs> in change and different people feel it different way. I mean, I, I love change but I still react to it but because I've been doing it and helping people for so long, I've probably got mechanisms coping with it a bit differently um so again i think you know different organizations depend on how much change they've had or experienced or need to like if you've got a burning platform project um you know if people can see the fire they're either going to jump and run the, the other way or they're going to go and get some you know hoses and start hosing this thing down and, mm. and they'll, they'll contribute to making the change in terms of an example look i'm working with a uh, client at the moment and, and it's Relatively small business in the scheme of things. Um, they've been going for about uh, seven, eight years, I think now. Um, they're, they're good at what they've been doing, but they got me involved because they wanted to do something a little bit more difficult and the like. And I can tell you, and mentioned this to uh, Nigel on the way in, because I've been dealing with some of the things today. What I'm dealing with is the hurt of making change. Um, the reactions I'm getting from some parties in the business are not rational relative to certain facts. You know, part of my job is to help them deal with that whilst it might be rational, it still hurts. So getting through it, and even what we've got through now, I mean, quite frankly, we're so close to the end of this project. Um, where they were a year ago and where they are now is chalk and cheese. It really is. It, it gives them a platform to do other projects of this scale, um, you know, more professionally, safely, um, financially, you know, beneficial, etc. Reputationally, um, etc. But because of where they are in the cycle of this one particular project, it's it's a little bit like that. Um, you know, the the time at which long term prisoners are most likely to escape is in the final year. Of their long-term mm. sentence, right? <laughs> you are so close to the end; it, it is just almost cripplingly hurting. And I want to escape, but if you can just hold on, and this is, you know, if you like, part of the almost the coaching element of of what I do with people is is, is to try and help help them towards that rationality, so that they can persevere and, and get to that that end point, so you can breathe normally again. Go, wow, actually. This isn't a bad place, is it? No. And you know what? Next time, you'll still feel pain, but you'll go to another plateau as well. And that's how businesses grow. And and again, it's the same thing with my mountaineering. You know, I started off on a you know, little couple of thousand metre mountain in New Zealand and went to Everest um, Base Camp and that's five and a half thousand metres. I was in Argentina in January, that was um, almost 7,000 metres. You don't just wake up one day going, right, I'm off to Everest. Mm. See in a few weeks, hun. Um, it doesn't work that way. You've, you've got to work towards these things. And that, to me, is part of that, um, you know, that, that similarity between business and, and human performance. There's a lot we need to learn because it comes back to being human and how do we grow as individuals. Mm. There's a, something crippling. If you ever look at like a, a, a traffic map, the times of day that cars travel around, if you look mm. at one of those and see people get up always at the same kind of time frame on the same road, we look like yeah. ants. That yeah. really like hits you hits you and go, oh, we are just sheep. <laughs> creatures of habit. Right? Yeah, creatures of habit. Well, well therein lies one of the benefits, I think, of COVID because for a little while there, it mm. reminded us we could still do work and we had fewer cars on the road. Mm. It was great for the environment. It was great for people's mental health in some respects, I think, you know, for a while there. So I don't COVID, think... Great, great COVID, great people's health. Yeah. Really? Mental health in terms of... It, it took a while to adjust, but once people started realising, hang on, I can work from home. Now, I don't think it's fully the answer, mm. but I don't think we've explored working from home to its full benefit yet mm. because if we can stop people in, you know, creating a peak hour, that's great for traffic management, great for the environment probably great for people's mental health because you don't arrive at work after an hour on the Pacific Highway with road rage. Um, if you could work on 
different days. You're, you're easing traffic burden. You're easing people's mental strain of getting to work, etc. So we're not, we're not done yet with the work from home. That so you know, just mm. rounding back to your question. No, before. I I do agree because mm. um yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of different people, right? And some people need that water cooler talk and yep. interaction with people to to function well. Yep. And, so, and a lot of people have actually had a negative mental health um from the sort yep. of people in, in Victoria in particular who oh, are like forced to work from home. That if, kind of thing. If you're forced to. Not mm. a great outcome. If we can find that balance, great for the individual, great for business, great for the environment. Yep. Mm. Mm. Different personalities, I guess, depends mm. on what they need. But some, in some individuals, definitely. Personalities, role yeah. types. Yeah. Yeah. What's next for Stuart Warrington? Well, actually, it's been an interesting year. Um, I actually put a LinkedIn post out about it a week or two ago, I think it was, because um, my, my son, who's at uh, uni, uh, said to him about a year ago, oh, do you want to come and try consulting? He's doing finance law at uni and he's been working for a legal firm for about three years and he's uh, really enjoyed that. But I said, well, do you want to actually explore the, the business side? So he's been doing a bit of work with me over the last year and we just clocked up the anniversary um, of him working with me um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And what I've loved about that is it's reminded me of um, the importance of, of actually working with other people but in you know, as, on a collegiate sort of basis as well because he, he's brought a a young person's uh, views and questions and whatever, he's challenged me. So he's got, you know, we've gone through the learning curve of, you know, him trying to see what, you know, what does dad do? Um, you know, he's become a credible individual in his own right and he's actually worked on some pretty cool gigs over the last um, six months. So, you know, we're exploring where that could go, mm. yeah, because that, um, that, that could be interesting if it was to become a an intergenerational business type thing, yeah. I mean, I, I'm hoping I've got a good... Yeah, 10 years left of me uh, doing what I do because I love it. Um, but equally, you know, in, in 10 years' time, he'll be 32 and, and he'll be at that age where, you know, good, good runs on the uh, board as well. And, um, yeah, and and I think he's really got an affinity for understanding how businesses could perform and how change uh, can be made as well. So that, that in, in a personal business side of things, is, is perhaps my next big thing. Um, Equally too, you know, uh, as I said, he's, he's 22, my, my daughter's 19, she's doing engineering. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go through my own transformation, I suppose, in the next uh, year or two to find out, you know, uh, wife of 31 years, we're going to start looking at each other and going, God, you know, we've just got the six-month-old dog around now, you know, what yeah. do we do? And uh, so, and that, that all parlays into how we live our lives, our control, because, you know, for a while, you know, we've had to learn how to be parents and still learning. Um yeah, now we're you know, now we're learning how to let go of kids into the wild themselves. Mm. Downsizing, um, adventuring, mountain climbing. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I I I, I love um, being fit and um, I love doing things which are a bit unusual, I suppose. Um, yeah, just as much as anything, not not just tick a box, but I, I love pushing and seeing what I can do. Um, you know, did a fifty four k trail run on uh, Saturday and. Plumb some new depths on the uh, on the uh, physical side of things there to keep going. Mm. It's good fun. Awesome, yeah. Stuart, mate. Thanks for coming and sharing your wisdom. No, really appreciate no, no. it. Pleasure. Oh, thanks, fellas. Yes, yeah, Stuart. I've got to say, like in wrapping up, you've always been someone that's open to a conversation, willing to lend an ear, um, challenging the status quo. You know, hats off to you. You'll have my respect forever, mate. So no, you know, thanks, really mate. appreciate everything uh, you've done to help not just me but you know, so many other organisations. So thank you. No, no, mate, it's been great knowing you all these years and hopefully that'll continue. Absolutely. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, cheers. Thanks, cheers. thanks for listening. Cheers.